listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. This morning we are in Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. We'll be looking at verses 32 through 35. Numbers chapter 31, starting in verse 32. I'll be preaching from the New King James Version as usual, but I think any, any English translation you have really is probably going to do well with this passage. The booty remaining from the plunder which the men of war had taken was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in, in all of women who had not known a man intimately. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you're sovereign over all things. We know that all scripture is God-breathed. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, on through Revelation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give me grace to preach clearly and faithfully. Give us all the grace to be receptive to what your word says. And um, in Christ's name I pray this. Amen. One of the most awkward times in a Sunday school class, for me at least, is probably when someone is asked to read a passage, and so they turn to it, and it takes a few seconds, and they start reading, and everyone kind of tilts their head and they're like, I, I, I think you turned to the wrong reference. <laughs> it clearly has nothing to do with the Sunday school topic or, or whatever. Like, for example, you might be asked to read Psalm 39, verse 7. What does Psalm chapter 39, verse 7 says? Well, it says this, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. That would have been a good verse to preach this morning. But if you're not careful and you turned to Psalm 38, 7, instead of Psalm 39, 7, you would end up reading, for my loins are full of inflammation. I didn't write it. <laughs> so you, you, you clearly have read the wrong verse, and everyone knows it, because who on earth would teach a Sunday school lesson on Psalm 38, 7? No, you do Psalm 39, 7. Well, I want to challenge that assumption today. I want to challenge that. To say that you have no greater reason to read and study and reflect on Psalm 39 than you do Psalm 38. Because Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness, this also would have been a good passage to preach today, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture breathed out from the mouth of God. All Scripture useful towards the end that you would know how to live a righteous life in a fallen world. And all Scripture can work towards that end. Even Psalm 38, even Numbers Chapter 31, verses 32 through 35. I think you believe that, but I think the question is more of how 
If we do believe that Numbers 31 is inspired by God, it is, it is Scripture, we have it today because God wants us to have it. Uh, he, he, the Spirit moved and worked through human authors, and we have this, this book, the Bible, sovereignly preserved, and we have it today, and here I am reading it to you. We believe that that's the Word of God, but what's the significance of those verses we read a couple of minutes ago? How should I live differently in light of the fact that Israel had 67,000 donkeys? It's a good question. It's a good question because I think this is the kind of passage that we're often tempted to skip in Bible reading plans. Am I wrong? This and genealogies. Because you don't see the significance of it, but... What I want to do this morning, if, if anything, is just to demonstrate that even a, a meticulous passage like Numbers 31 can be overflowing with glory and gospel if you'll think a little bit and dig a little bit and let Scripture speak. So first of all, let, let's kind of get our bearings in this chapter because I, I dove into a story and I didn't give you any context. So let, let's look at the, first of all, the historical meaning of these verses. What, what's going on right here in Numbers 31? Well, at the beginning of chapter 31, God ordered an attack on the Midianites. Israel's getting close to entering the promised land. And actually, uh, Moses does not have long to live himself. So God ordered an attack on the Midianites. Uh, if, if you know the story of Balaam, that had just happened in the chapters before. Actually, Balaam dies in this chapter, I believe. So Moses obeyed, and he sent the Israelites. And they soundly won the battle with the help of the Lord. That happens a lot. Usually, if they win, it's because of the Lord. If they don't win, it's because of their sin. And then in verse 26, God instructed Moses to to take account of all the plunder that Israel had won from Midian. So, so Israel defeated Midian, and, and they, um, they got the, the spoils of war. So God wants them to count it all up, see what they got, and he wanted Israel to do that, most of all, so that they would know what to tithe. Israel's supposed to give, according to the Mosaic law, they're supposed to give a certain percentage to the priests and to the, the Levites. How do you know what to give if you don't know what the 100% is? And how do you give 10% if you don't know what 100% is? So that's why God commands them to count it all up. And it's good that um, God had this requirement in the Mosaic law because the priests especially, they were devoted to the work of God with the tabernacle. These were people who they didn't have time to work in a field. They didn't have time to hunt. They, they were devoted to all of the many meticulous prescriptions in the sacrificial system, in the worship of God, so that God could dwell with his people in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And so it, it was necessary for them to just live. If all I do every day is... Uh, is a minister and, and mediate for the people in the tent of meeting, and I, I never go pick apples or, or crops or something, how am I going to live? Well, there has to be a tithe. has to be. So God wanted a fraction 
of these spoils of war, of what Israel had gotten from the Midianites. God wanted a fraction of that to be given to the Levites and the priests who were part of the tribe of Levi. So that, that's what this passage is. Numbers 31 verses 32 through 35 is, is the tallying up, the accounting of exactly what Israel got from the Midianites. They, these verses quantify what Israel gained from their, their conquest. And that, that's the historical meaning. In brief, at the command of God, Israel gave an account of their plunder so that accurate tithes could be made. That's the historical meaning. Okay, now, second of all, second of all, I, I want us to think about the theological significance of that. Because it is significant. What, what truth can we derive from that? What doctrine? Well, you might be tempted to focus on the numbers. We have uh, 675,000, 72,000, 61,000, 32,000. Man, those numbers have got to be in the book of Revelation somewhere. Book of Daniel or something. Well, another option would be to search the scriptures for maybe some of the animals that are listed. But maybe the sheep represent Christians because we are Christ's sheep, right? Jesus told Peter to, to feed my sheep. Or, or maybe the, you know, the psalmist says that God has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. So maybe the cattle in Numbers 31 represents the wealth of God. That, that would be allegory. Um, if, if you've done any kind of interpretive work. And I, I don't think that would be an honest take on this text. I don't think so. Th- this is a story. It doesn't have to be complicated. It, it doesn't have to be mystical. Th- these are just actual events that happened. They are recorded. And the truth is, our text is not an allegory. It's simply a head count, and it's in the fact that it's simply a head count that I think we find the theological significance, and we can start to dive into it now. This passage teaches us that God cares about the details. God cares about details. He cares about the fact that there were 67,000 donkeys, not 66. God does not deal in loose terms, in, in changing terms. He always reads the fine print. He's always a stickler for the standard. And we see God's care about the details, I think, in two ways from this passage. First of all, God cares about the details in covenant. God cares about the details in covenant. So in the law, God promised these priests a livelihood. So from, from the, the uh, plunder of war, the priests were going to get a livelihood from that. And God was going to see that Israel honored that agreement. God cared about the covenant. God is a covenant-keeping God. He made, made the Noahic covenant, said, I will never destroy the earth by flood again. And he put a rainbow in the, in the sky as a sign to himself that he would never do that. And he has always remembered that covenant, and he always will. He cares about the details. So first of all, he cares about it in covenant, the promises that he makes. Second of all, 
again, from this passage, we're in Numbers 31, he cares about the details in conquest. In conquest. People tend to lose their minds in war. A lot of times when you think of warfare, you think of uh, angry Viking berserkers running, you know, body paint and everything, running through a field, you know. God has wrath, but, but he does not lose himself in wrath. He, he's not given to passions and uh, uh, ambitions in war. God has wrath, but he's not overcome by the wrath. His judgments and considerations are always clear, and they're always level-headed. And so following a conquest, God cares about the details of what has been conquered. He's paying attention. If God has conquered 100 square miles in Canaan, he's not okay with Israel just settling 90 square miles. He wants all 100 square miles settled. And, and, and when uh, Canaan's more than 100 square miles, but when Israel didn't settle all the land in the book of Judges that or Joshua and Judges, that created a lot of problems. If God has conquered 72,000 cattle, he's not okay with Israel only counting 71. He wants all of them counted. He makes a covenant and he sticks to it. To the fine print, he conquers. And everything he conquers, he keeps up with. It's not like he, he wins a war and 20 years pass, and he thinks, did I, is that my pond over there? You know, I, I don't remember. We'll, 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 ju- we'll just give it to them because I don't remember. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. If God is victorious over something, he wants his seal put upon it. So that, that's the theological significance here. We, we see here in this meticulous accounting work going on with all this weird donkeys and stuff, you, you see God being a stickler for details in the covenants that he makes. He's going to make sure that the priests are paid because that's what he promised. And you see that he's a stickler for details when he's conquering. Okay. Now, let's go a step further. Let's go a step further. Let's take this into the New Testament. This is not a complicated sermon, really. I've, I've already given you my main point. I've already given you my main point. God, God loves details. He's a detailed God. We're, we're, not, we're just going deeper and deeper into that. Now, bring this into the New Testament. Bring this into the New Testament. What, what, what is the New Testament significance of that? Because that's where we are. We're in the new covenant. Well, in order to understand the, the practical ramifications that this passage has for us, we have to put it into the new covenant. So, so first of all, I'm delighted to inform you all that we have a high priest who does not require a tithe. We have a high priest, to be more specific, who doesn't need a tithe in order for his ministry to be effective. Now, I'm not making a statement about giving to the church. That's not what I'm saying, yes or no. I'm, I'm saying the priests of Israel were mere men, and they were sinners. 
and they lived 40, 50, 60 years, and they died. And they needed atonement, and they needed food, and they needed clothing, and they had to get a tithe from the people to survive, but you don't have a priest like that. You have a priest who has not succumbed to the decay of death. He is alive today. And so I'm saying your priest does not need your help. He does not need your help. He does not need a tithe. In the book of Hebrews, the author is saying that, look, Israel, the old covenant was good. God gave it. It's got to be good. But you have, you have hundreds and hundreds of priests over hundreds and hundreds of years giving hundreds and hundreds of sacrifices. It's not working. Hebrews 7 makes this plain. That This is verses 23 through 28. <clears throat> Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So the priests of Israel were ruled by death. They couldn't deliver Israel from their sins. But he, Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the othermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses. The law appoints weak high priests. They're sinners. They're weak. But the word of oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son, who has been perfected forever. Numbers 31, they're they're counting everything up to see how much they need to give to their priests so their priests can live. And what I'm saying is I'm looking at that old covenant system and I'm thankful for a new covenant glory of a high priest who doesn't need my help, who doesn't need my money or my clothes or my job or my house. A high priest who is God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And he doesn't need my money to fund his high priestly ministry. On the contrary, from Christ, I receive heavenly treasure. So in Numbers 31, Israel had to support her priests, but in the new covenant, our high priest supports us. And I am so glad that's the case because in every respect, I am not a rich man. In every respect. And even if I were, how could I ever provide enough cattle and donkeys and gold to fund Christ's ministry? How, how could I pay for the atonement of my sins? I could never do that. So I say that the gospel is no gospel unless it's a gospel for poor sinners who need a high priest who doesn't need to be tithed to. And I think in... In, in, a, in a deep way, but in a true way, you look at Numbers 31, you see what Israel's doing, having to pay her high priests, and we're reminded of that. We're reminded of the better glories of Christ. Our high priest 
prepares a table for us, a feast, and it's not a potluck. You don't bring food to this feast. You don't bring a tithe to this feast. He sets the table. You bring the appetite. You bring the hunger, the need, and you feast. But second of all, I'm also delighted to inform you and and getting back really to the detail-orientedness of God, I'm delighted to inform you that if, if God cared so much about the details of the old covenant, how much more do you think he cares about the details of the new covenant? Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says that the old covenant was glorious, but the new covenant is even more glorious. And if God's going to, going to be a stickler for counting all the donkeys and the cattle in the old covenant, why do you think he would not be a stickler for details in the new covenant? I assure you, God cares a lot more about you than he does cattle. So let me ask you this. How many Christians do you think God is going to forget to resurrect? None. Even Christians who have been martyred in distant lands, even Christians who've died in war, lost at sea, he's not going to forget about them? That's a lot of people to remember. That's a lot of details. Oh. None. None. When Christ comes to raise his people from the grave, there will not be one believer that is left out of that resurrection. That's important. That's so important. God cares about details. And that means he's not going to leave anyone whom he promises eternal life to the grave. And not only this, but he's not going to leave any part of you to sin. You will not find yourself in the new heavens and new earth half glorified, half redeemed. And you're walking down the streets of gold and you you pass Christ one day and he looks at you and he says, oh, we we forgot to finish you up. (laughs) Man, are you you free Wednesday? Like we can... That's that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. God's not going to forget to redeem any square inch of your body or soul. He's not going to leave a single hair on your head unresurrected and unglorified. He will not fail to rid you of a single sin. Because God cares about the detail. He cares about the detail. And you thought we were just going to talk about donkeys. He's not going to forget about your resurrection or your glorification, and he's not going to forget your justification either. The records in heaven will never be misplaced or lost on some shelf. If God has declared you not guilty and righteous in his sight, you can count on that declaration for an eternity. He's not going to forget that he did it. He's not going to forget detail. He's not going to forget why he did it. He remembers and he cares about the details. 
He cares about the fine print. Those are the two glorious things that I see when I look at this passage, and I, I think that, that Christ is a priest who doesn't need our tithes for his ministry to be effective, and I think that, that God does not forget to redeem us or any part of us. If, if he's going to be a stickler about the cattle and the donkeys, he's going to be a stickler about ridding me of sin. Here's about the details in covenant. But now I, I want to talk about one more point before I leave you. There's a caution, I think, that comes with this. It's a warning. And I would not feel good about myself unless I made it plain after having talked about such glorious gospel news. I said that God cares about the details in covenant and in conquest. We just talked about the covenant part, Christ being the the high priest and God in in this new covenant promising to rid us of sin. But let's go back to that conquest for a moment. Seeing uh, God commanding Israel to to, uh, wage war against the Midianites and God giving them victory and God ensuring that that victory is well documented and remembered. The possessions that Israel had in verses 32 through 35, sheep, cattle, donkeys, and persons, they were all taken from those Midianites, okay? Stay with me. The enemies of God, God trampled over them. That's what happens when you set yourself against God. It does not end well. The, the opening sections of Nahum are terrifying. I don't even have to go to the New Testament to find apocalyptic scenes of God's wrath. But not only were these Midianites conquered, but everything they had worked for was immediately handed over to the kingdom of God. We saw that in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 26. To the sinner, God gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. So the sinner's life is working and working and working and toiling, and he has nothing to show for it at the end. In the end, he doesn't inherit the world. The people of God inherit the world, right? That's exactly what we find in Numbers 31. <clears throat> the Midianites had houses and uh, ambitions and machines of war, and they waged war against God. And they were annihilated. And everything they had worked for, their riches, were handed over to the people of God. And God had Israel count up exactly what was taken from the Midianites. God cared about what was conquered and keeping up with it. Now, again, just take that, be sober-minded with me for a moment, and move forward into the New Testament. Think about the fact that uh, Matthew 28, and Christ is standing with his disciples, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not it will be, it has been given to me. It has been. Or Colossians 1, in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his 
cross. Christ, by his obedience and the decree of God, has been made the king of all things. He's been given the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. You know that passage. My point here is that Christ has conquered all things. He's done the work. Now, we're in a time between times. Not everything's tied up, but he's Lord today. And you can't find a single thing in this universe, visible or invisible, that does not belong to Jesus, that has not been conquered by Christ in that sense. So I think the caution of Numbers 31 for us is that, again, God cares about the details when he conquers. And Jesus has conquered the world. So don't think that you can escape from the consequences of your sin. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go that you can say, okay, now I'm on neutral ground. Christ is Lord of it all. He's Lord of history and science and Germany and 16th century France and anything. Anything you want to talk about, Jesus reigns over it. And at the judgment, God will do another accounting, much like how he counted up all the the random things that the Israelites got from the Midianites, except this time he will be counting for those whom his wrath is due. And he's not going to forget anyone. You understand what I'm saying? He's not going to leave anyone out. Because God cares about the details, not just when it's beneficial to you. Your only hope, your only hope is that you would call upon this God for salvation. And if you do, you will find yourself numbered among a different crowd on that day those who are redeemed by this King, Jesus Christ. God has known these people since before he created the world. The sun has never risen on a day that God has not loved his elect people. And when all things are finished and the the accounting of the Lamb's book of life is done, you will not be left out. I assure you, God will forget no one in grace and in judgment because God cares about the details.